Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are and whatever part of the day you're in. I sure do appreciate y'all joining me, giving me a little bit of your time. Hope it helps you kind of get through the day, gives you something to look forward to a little bit, whether it's during doing dishes or laundry or conference period or lunch or drive to work or getting ready for work or just sitting and relaxing in the evening. For those of y'all that are new, I sure am glad you're here. I know there must be a few of you because the podcast keeps growing. For those of y'all that have been here for a while, I sure am grateful that you continue to come back and and that y'all continue to share the podcast with others. Y'all absolutely are the reason it continues to grow, second only to, Lord, thank you for the people that listen and share it, and getting here to, to sit here on the porch and record it. Not a whole lot to report. Have two puppy dogs on the porch. No kitty cats, as far as I can tell, yet. A couple of roosters in the background. Yeah. All right. We'll get going. I feel like I'm forgetting something, but I can't remember what it is, so hopefully it wasn't too terribly important. We're going to go back to Tocqueville, Alexis de Tocqueville. Just a real quick, if you don't remember, he was a statesman that came over, a Frenchman. Spent about eight or nine months here in the States going around traveling and really wrote what is still considered to be one of the best character, society, relationship assessments of us as a people, at least the way we were intended to be, maybe. It's called a democracy in America. And we're going to read a few more of his quotes, and then if we have time, we'll look at one or two others. We do have one kitty cat that's decided to come along. All right, so let's see. Where are we stopped? There we go. Talking about the Americans, us, they brought with them a form of Christianity, which I cannot better describe than by styling it a democratic and republican religion. But from the earliest settlement of their immigrants, politics and religion contracted an alliance which has never been dissolved. That would be news to many of us today, and it certainly is not the way the Supreme Court in 47, what they did to us. Politics and religion contracted an alliance which has never been dissolved. Well, we did it about 80 years ago. And we've been suffering some pretty horrific consequences ever since. It's just mind-boggling, folks. I can't help 
but just be astounded almost every single time at how much we have allowed ourselves to buy into this lie that our founders didn't want God and Jesus Christ intimately involved in the public life, the institutions, the policies of our nation, regardless of whether they were Christian themselves or not. That That's the really condemning thing to me is, is even the ones that weren't avowed Christians, followers of Christ as a son of God, still knew that they had to have the principles of Christ at the center of the Republic. And and we've allowed ourselves to think that there's some huge wall between the state and the principles of Jesus Christ. And it's just astounding to me. And it's interesting to see a foreigner come in. You know, this was, what, 40 years after the formation of the Republic. The Christian nations of our age seem to me to present a most alarming spectacle. The impulse which is bearing them along is so strong that it cannot be stopped, but it is not yet so rapid that it cannot be guided. Their fate is in their hands, yet a little while and it may be no longer. That last line from this quote, folks, their fate is in their hands, yet a little while and it may be no longer. You know, Lincoln talked about that talked about the fact that the only way we would die was by suicide, that as a nation of free men, we either had to live forever or kill ourselves. Uh, Our danger was never going to come from abroad, and we've talked about that so often on this podcast. I'm not saying that that China and North Korea, Iran, Russia, I'm not saying those aren't threats from outside, but they're nowhere as dangerous as the threat from our fellow citizens here in America that choose to continue to support and vote for or or be indifferent to these just blatantly evil values of the left. That that is the greatest threat by far. I mean, we used to talk in the Marine Corps. I think I've used the analogy here a couple of times about the closest alligator to the boat. I'll probably use it again. But the the threat from our own citizens, that alligator is right next to the boat. The others, you can't even see. They're out there, but they're they're so far away, you can't even see them. And it really is, you know, I, I do think we have a fight coming, folks. I just don't see a way around it. But all things are possible with God, A. And B, uh, whatever happens, fight, no fight, the only way that we can turn this country around is to turn back to God. And that's completely up to us as individuals in our lives and our marriages, right? How, how can we possibly ask others or, or our government to follow the principles of Christ if we're not going to as individuals, you know, and, and I make this analogy often, but that fate that Tocqueville's talking about here of our country, it's really similar to our personal lives, folks. You know, we, we're struggling today because we have completely rejected God as a nation, as a whole. Well, what do you think happens if you, if you kick out the principles of Christ out of your marriage? Or you never looked at them to begin with? 
writing about what he found in America. Again, the Tocqueville, a couple things. An ostensible, ostensible respect for Christian morality and virtue. And that almost all education is instructed, entrusted, sorry, is entrusted to the clergy. Across the board, he's talking about as a whole. And you go back to his quote from that we talked about last week, you know, it was every rank and file. It didn't matter what your ethnicity was, what your race was. It didn't matter what your class, socioeconomic class was at all. Across the board, there was a respect for Christian morality and virtue. It's interesting, the second part of this, almost all education is entrusted to the clergy. And so often we talk about quotes here where our founding fathers desperately wanted the Bible as the primary textbook. They wanted, you know, even Jefferson, when he was in charge of the school board, I think uh, in Virginia and D.C., that was one of the main textbooks that he chose. I think one of two. I might be mistaken. There might have been three, but I think that was one of two main textbooks that he chose was the Bible. You know, Jefferson is supposed to be this great secularist or at least a deist at best, right? And there he is choosing, even as such, even if he is such, choosing the Bible as one of the main textbooks. So this idea that we don't want Christian principles in our schools is just, it's just not true, folks. It's absolutely not true, just like it's not true that our founders didn't want the principles of Christ in our public life and our government. August of 1831, traveling through Chester County, New York, he, de Tocqueville, had the opportunity to observe a court case. These are some excerpts, by the way, before I forget, from America's God and Country Encyclopedia of Quotations. If you have a chance, I, I, I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, just like with the Patriots Bible and the Founders Bible, I'm not using them today. Although I might pull a quote from Patriots Bible if we have time at the end, but phenomenal, phenomenal resources, folks. They show how strongly tied together our country is with God. And it gives you tools and resources so that when somebody comes up to you and says, no, 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 we're... We're a completely secular nation. We're based on the Roman Republic. Um, you know, if, if they even go that far. Um, and it, it just gives you the ability, even if you're not that type A confrontational personality, to, which is fine. I, I'm, not, I'm not really saying that that's a great thing. I'm just saying, if you're not the one to really get into it in the moment, at least in your heart, you know that that's not true. You know what is true. And when somebody comes up and talks to you, you know, one of the things that I've always struggled with in my faith is the command to be ever, ever ready to defend your faith, to explain it to others. And that's a little bit outside of my comfort box, A. And B, I've always just, you know, I've had so many doubts about my own faith and fears over the years that that I've always felt ill-equipped to do that. Well, how do you get well-equipped? We know it in everything else. It's fascinating, really, a little sidetrack here, but we know if we want professional achievement, 
we're going to have to work hard. We know that if we want physical results at the gym or we, you know, we want to be in shape, we want to be in good health, we have to spend time doing that. Not just a little bit, you know, typically, you know, at least half hour, an hour a day, something like that, depending on what our, our lifestyle as a whole is. You know, we want our body healthy. We've got to eat well. We put all this. I, I just heard something the other day. You know, America spends the most money in the world on health. Yeah, we seem to be doing a pretty poor job. But the point is, we realize in all these other facets of our lives, if we want results, we've got to put in time. We've got to put in effort. And that if we want to be an expert, you know, if you if you want to really be a good diesel mechanic or, or a lawyer or, or custodian or whatever it is, you, you can't just do the work. You've got to really study it. You've got to pay attention to what goes on. You've got to, you know, listen for improvements. And we do that. We're willing to do that across the board. We certainly are willing to do that in athletics. Uh, you know, we spend, I don't even know how many billions of dollars and, and hours and energy on what is basically a sport, uh, entertainment. Uh, and you can, we can go down that road for a long time. But the point is, we don't do that with our faith. We don't do that as a country in our marriages. And, and we really haven't done it as a country with our country. And so we feel ill-equipped to talk to other people about Jesus Christ. Well, we don't spend any time in the Bible. We don't spend any time in prayer. We feel unqualified to talk to younger couples or, or couples that aren't married yet about being married. Well, that's because we know our marriage is a sham. We, we know that we're not really putting any effort into it. And, and that it looks great on the outside, but it's really rotten on the inside because we're not putting any time into it. You know, and then our country, somebody comes up and says, well, this is a secular nation, not a Christian nation. Prove me wrong. And, you know, we get timid and we, we start to scramble and we, we don't really know what to say. Well, we don't, we don't spend any time teaching ourselves and, you know, Lord forbid, we don't spend any time teaching our children about the faith or marriage to begin with, or about our country, well, it's no wonder we can't defend it. Anyway, I got off there because I apologize. So he saw this court case. While I was in America, a witness who happened to be called at the at the Assises, I'm not sure about that word, folks, sorry, of the country of Chester, state of New York, declared that he did not believe in the existence of God or in the immortality of the soul. The judge refused to admit his evidence on the ground that the witness had destroyed beforehand all confidence of the court in what he was about to say. The newspapers related the fact without any further comment. The New York Specter of August 23, 1831 relates the fact in the following terms. The Court of Common Pleas of Chester County, New York, a few days since rejected a witness who declared his disbelief in the existence of God. The presiding judge remarked that he had not before been aware that there was a man living who did not believe in the existence of God, that this belief constituted the sanction of all testimony in a court of justice, and that he knew of no case in a Christian country where a witness had been permitted to testify without such belief. Uh, can you imagine today? And yet, 
that's why we're falling apart. You know, you don't, you don't have to be a Christian to be an American, but you, you have to acknowledge that this is a Christian republic and be willing to follow the principles of Christ. And, and that ought to be a central part of our public life. It was, folks. You can hear it in our institutions, and it has to be again. You know, if you want to come here and live and you don't profess Christ, that's fine. Our founders knew for sure that you couldn't force any man to faith, that you couldn't force anyone away from faith. But you're going to have to live by those principles, publicly at least. Whether you're talking about a court case like here, you know, you're going to reject God and Jesus Christ out of hand. Why would we believe your testimony? This is 1831. This is 40, over 40 years right at, after the founding of our republic. And it's not a singular case, folks. This isn't, this was not uncommon. This was common. This was the standard. And then somehow we got to 1947, a little over 100 years later, and we said, ah, oh, man, now our founders, they really, they didn't want anything to do with God. Separation of church and state. Jefferson, we're going to kick God out of everything. And if you talk about God, you can't be part of this. I mean, I've had a couple people tell me here, people that I trust that, you know, they use Reagan as an example. One of them does anyway. That, you know, he never got really riled up. And that's why so many people really listened to him is because when he talked, it was with a calm voice. And, you know, he got the message across. And so people could listen to him. And so not to get too riled up, but it's hard not to get riled up about this stuff, folks. I mean, the, the fact that we've allowed this to occur is just it's ludicrous and it's mind boggling. And it's because of what I said earlier. We're, we're just we're not putting any work in. We have no idea about where we came from or who we are. And I'm, I'm guilty of it, too, folks. Faith, marriage. Our country. But this court case, you know, no case in a Christian country where a witness had been permitted to testify without such belief, no belief in God. That's a little loud. Sorry about that. Although that's the background music. (laughs) I'm going to read one more real quick, folks. I think I've got time for it. I stumbled across it right at the end today. Uh, I find it hard to believe I opened the book and it flipped to this page. Uh, God had a little hand. So uh, Judge Nathaniel Freeman in 1802 charged the Massachusetts grand juries as follows. The laws of the Christian system as embraced by the Bible must be respected as of high authority in all our courts. And it cannot be thought improper for the officers of such government to acknowledge their obligation to be governed by its rule. Our government originating in the voluntary compact of a people who in that very instrument profess the Christian religion. It may be considered not as Republic Rome was a pagan, but a Christian Republic. We'll come back and read that a few more times, folks. I promise. Sure to appreciate y'all joining me. God bless y'all. God bless your families. God bless America.
we'll talk to you all again real soon. Looking forward to it.